0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and get $30 off your first order with free shipping by going
1: to com mission log. This episode is also brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com. Slash Mission Log.
2: Mission Log. A Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 270. Past Prologue.
1: In Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion, and I'm Ken Ray.
0: Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether all of it stands the test of time.
1: This week, past prologue. Not a man alone. Uh oh.
0: Uh oh. Eh, not really. Kind of, but not really. Um, I watched A Man Alone in preparation for today's show because Netflix told me that I should. That is incorrect. Yes, because Netflix is incorrect. Correct. Yeah, they they didn't order a thing. Do you know I actually had to go online and look it up?
1: <laughs> Good for you. That's, that's what you should do.
0: Uh, like a freaking caveman. I was out there <laughs> saying, wait a minute. What is mm-hmm. it? Because, you know, they presented me with a list and I thought, well, that's got to be right. Uh, That was not, in fact, right. Uh, John's got trivia coming up in just a bit, but first...
1: But first, a word from Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Blue Apron shops the way you would shop, which means for at least a few meals a week, you can skip the shopping. I say they shop the way that you would because they take great care with the ingredients. The meats are responsibly raised, the seafood is sustainably sourced, and the produce comes from farms that practice regenerative farming.
0: Also, they don't want you to get bored with the food you're getting. In a whole year, they will not repeat a recipe on you, so you won't be eating the same thing week after week after week. Now, while all of that may sound expensive, it's really not. For less than $10 per person per meal, Blue Apron delivers everything you need to make good home-cooked meals about which you can feel good. Meals like, uh, excuse me, Mr. Champion, are the pipes warmed up?
1: Oh, oh, I'm ready for this. Yeah, okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Meals like pan-fried chicken breast with sweet and tangy zucchini. Mmm. Italian-style shrimp and sweet peppers over fregola sarda pasta. Mmm. And Parmesan-crusted steaks with mashed potatoes and broccoli.
2: hmm Mm-hmm.
0: Now, you and I went out to dinner the other night, John, and you pointed out during our dinner... Uh, that we were paying to eat out when you had meals from blue apron waiting at home <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm curious yeah. what have you been cooking lately and 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 what kind of techniques or or tricks have you picked up from it
1: well, so we kind of nailed it in, in the discussion right here at the top, which is to say that you will find yourself cooking with things that you didn't expect and not cooking the same things over and over again. So one dish that I really enjoyed recently was a Middle Eastern baked chicken and rice, and it is spiced with uh, Raz el Hanout. Which, uh, as soon as I posted a picture of that, my friend Ian said every time I see that I think of Raz al Ghul. And I was like, no, no, this is definitely not a Batman villain, uh, but it is a delicious spice. But it it opened up the possibilities for me that this is something that I could do again, because, of course, I kept that recipe card so I can do it again.
0: And plus, now you know about that thing that you thought was a Batman villain, but turns out to be something that you can apply to other stuff that you cook going forward.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. So here's what you do. Check out this week's menu and get $30 off your first order with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait.
1: That's blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And a huge thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's show.
0: John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is com. Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at MissionLogPodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, we turn it over to the Trivia King, only the second time doing trivia for Deep Space Nine. I'm looking forward to seeing who our cast trading card is for this week. (laughs) Let's find out together, shall we, as John Champion presents trivia.
1: All right, today's episode, Past Prologue, was written by Catherine Powers. Lots of TV writing under her belt, including Fantasy Island, Airwolf, Stargate, SG-1, and Kung Fu. She also wrote an episode of Logan's Run, which is how she met DC Fontana. Now, Ken, you may not recognize the name just right off the bat, uh, but we have talked about Catherine Powers before. A long time ago, she wrote an episode of Next Gen. Think way back to Season 1, Code of Honor. Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's not her fault though. It was the director.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Now, the draft of her story had one element that we're definitely missing in this episode, which is that Kira and Tana would have been lovers. But uh, Michael Pillar felt like that was a little too cliche, and he wanted to remove that from the story. Now, as an element that she did not write that was added by Peter Allen Fields. Now, Peter Allen Fields has producer and writer credits on DS9, but um, I wanted to point him out for a very good reason, which is that uh, he created the role of Garrick. And there's an interesting tie-in to another property that he worked on. Ken, I may have mentioned on this show once or twice before that I'm a fan of the old 1960s spy show, The Man From U.N.C.L.E. Well, Peter Allen Fields wrote many episodes of that show. One of the conceits of that show was that the secret entrance to Uncle headquarters was through a tailor shop. So it was the tailor who knew all the comings and goings of the spies going into Uncle. So he injected a little bit of that into Deep Space Nine. And the trivia gets even deeper. I don't know if we'll ever actually see it on screen, but there is a screen grab somewhere of a guide to the shops of the promenade. And there is a Del Floria's tailor shop which, in fact, was the name of the tailor shop on The Man from U.N.C.L.E. So a little bit of uh, Peter Allen Field's tribute throughout Deep Space Nine. Now, this episode was written by Wienerich Colby, and this is his first of many contributions to DS9. He directed a number of TNG episodes, going back to Where Silence Has Lease and Pen Pals, all the way up to the finale, which he directed, All Good Things. Hey, you mentioned it in the intro, past prologue, not... A Man Alone. It's true. A Man Alone was the second episode produced, but it was aired third. Past Prologue was produced third, but aired early. For those of you who are listening to Mission Log, maybe fresh, we decided way back in the TOS days to stick with air date order. Some places, like Netflix, show it in production order in this case, but pretty much everywhere else it will be an air date order. That was really important with TOS where they were just all over the map, particularly in that first season. Hey, uh, the title to this show might sound familiar. There is a very similarly titled episode from the first season of Star Trek Discovery. What's past is prologue. It's a line from Shakespeare's The Tempest, and it's pretty well spelled out that everything that has already happened has led up to and informed the point where we are now. In the play, The Tempest, Antonio says it to Sebastian right before, well, murder. <laughs> it all led up to that moment. Hey, I don't know if you noticed that we got a, a comment from a listener, Brett Dean, and he wanted to make sure that we both noticed uh, that the Mac OS system font Chicago is prominently displayed on odo's display in this episode um but it is a good point uh because we are seeing a lot more practical and animated displays in this series than we ever did on next gen so you think about that few years gap between the start of next gen and then the start of deep space 9 well, when they started TNG, they had all these static panels, and they would go in later and maybe animate or composite a thing on top of it. But when they built all these brand new sets for Deep Space Nine, you had a nice big budget to do so, they could pre-plan to have these animated displays in place. And and at the time, sure, you throw a computer monitor in there and use what was at the time the Mac OS system font, Chicago. All right, Ken, so you know I like my ship names, and uh, this episode gives us two runabout names. We have the Yangtze Kiang. Now, the Yangtze, as we know, is a river in China, and specifically the uh, the Changyang, or in old Chinese, the Kiang, uh, Yangtze Kiang, means long river, and that is a stretch of the Yangtze. And of course, the Ganges River is the famous long river flowing along the border of India and Bangladesh. All right, Ken, you were excited about our trading card of the week. So this week we will focus on Nana Visitor, who plays Major Kira. Nana was born in New York and has a lot of performers in her family. Most notably, her aunt is Sid Charisse, longtime dance star of stage and screen. And her parents were also in dance, choreographers and ballet dance instructors, Now, Nana started acting while in school, primarily in theater. She appeared in My One and Only, she starred in Gypsy, and then notably during production of Deep Space Nine, starred in Chicago as Roxy Hart. But TV roles showed up very quickly in her acting career as well. Soap operas led to guest spots on shows like Remington Steel, Twilight Zone in the 80s, L.A. Law, and she's still going strong. And yes, at one point, many of our listeners may know that she was married to a co-star. She married Alexander Sittig in 1997. That lasted a few years, and she is currently, as of this recording, married to actor Matthew Rimmer. Now let's talk about guest stars Barbara March and Gwyneth Walsh at Lursa M. Batur, the Duras sisters. We met them way back in Next Gen, and you may remember their story will come to an end in a showdown with Enterprise D... In the movie Generations. Sorry to confuse anybody with that, but yes, we are sort of going back in time for this episode. Ken, you mentioned it to me at that very dinner, but wait, they're dead. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Or are they? Or are they? Well, yes, but not yet, but yes. This is the only appearance of these two that we get on Deep Space Nine. Uh, but yes, their story does carry on. The thing that I like about this episode and the way that these shows are produced there, we get all the information we need about the Duras sisters contained in this show. It doesn't rely on you having seen Next Gen. And it certainly doesn't hurt if you've already seen what happens to them in Generations. We also have Susan Bay here as Admiral Rollman. Very interesting Star Trek connection. She's Leonard Nimoy's wife. Now, they married in 1989, and she was with him until he passed away in 2015, and she will be back one more time in Deep Space Nine. We have Vaughn Armstrong as Gul Danar. We've mentioned Vaughn before. He was a Klingon in Heart of Glory on Next Gen, and that's what kicked off a long association with Star Trek. He appears in Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise, and plays a full 8 different species and 11 different characters. He even appears in video games and in the ride film for Star Trek The Experience. Jeffrey Nordling as Tana Los, quite a prolific TV and film career for Jeffrey. In addition to guest roles on shows like Beauty and the Beast, the one from the 80s, and Alien Nation, he had many recurring stints on shows like Melrose Place, 24, and Desperate Housewives. This is his only Trek credit. And finally, we meet Andrew Robinson as Plain, Simple Garrick. Another actor with a heavy theater background, Andrew started in TV in the late 60s and racked up a number of small roles. Recurring jobs in soap operas appeared, and then a recurring role on Barnaby Jones. We will see a lot more of Garrick. Andrew only plays Garrick in his multiple appearances, and even turns up in the video game Deep Space Nine, The Fallen.
2: Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the worlds, Tonalos Head to walk into Kira's.
1: Prologue. Dr. Bashir is enjoying a cup of tea in the replimat when he's joined by a tailor, Garrick, who happens to be the only Cardassian left on Deep Space Nine. Seems friendly, almost too much so. And Bashir blurts out that the word is he may be a spy, Unfazed, Garrick invites the doctor to come by his shop anytime. Sharing his weird exchange with the rest of the command crew, the others basically tell Bashir to chill out. The guy's probably not a spy, but whatever, be careful. And no time to talk about that anymore. Here comes a Bajoran scout ship being fired upon by a Cardassian in pursuit. The pilot of the Bajoran craft is beamed out by Chief O'Brien just before his ship explodes. And the man introduces himself as Tana Los. He wants asylum. And he knows Kira. Act 1. Tana Los isn't just any Bajoran. He's a terrorist, according to the Cardassians, part of a faction called the Kone Ma. And they would like him back, please, thank you very much. Sisko says not so fast. He hasn't decided yet about granting asylum. He might. He might not. Tana's been beat up pretty bad. He's being cared for by Dr. Bashir, but before Sisko checks in on him, he wants some details from Kira. Yeah, he's Konma, and yeah, they've done some pretty bad things even now that the war is over, but it was mostly justifiable, plus he's Bajoran, and think about the future of Bajor. Unimpressed, Sisko reminds her that she is under his command now, and she needs to decide where her loyalties are. Kira's so worked up about this, so determined that Cisco should grant asylum, that she surreptitiously calls a Starfleet admiral to air her complaint. Admiral Roman says she'll keep an eye on it. The Cardassians that were in pursuit have docked at d s nine but everyone is dragging their feet to make sure it takes a long time for them to actually come on board for a visit. Just the time Sisko needs to learn more about the Ma and also take an irritated call from Admiral Roman that she does not want any more calls from people under his command. Kira visits Tana, and he chides her a little for working under a Starfleet officer. She promises she won't let Sisko hand him over to the Cardassians. Her loyalty is to him. Finally, Gul Dinar from that Cardassian ship is allowed onto DS9 and immediately confronts Sisko about the unnecessary wait and the matter of handing over the terrorist Tana Los. Sisko says he'll grant temporary asylum to Tana if only because handing him over to the Cardassians now would be a death sentence, and that would undermine the attempts to regain peace and rebuild Bajor. He'll eventually wind up on Bajor, and if the Cardassians decide to pursue that with the provisional government, then that's what they'll have to do. Act 2. Kira levels with Tana. You're no longer part of that group, the Konma, right? Because the provisional government of Bajor can probably get you and some of the others back home helping to rebuild. Tana says, oh, sure. Then he levels with Kira. You're answering to the Federation now. That's not the Kira he knows. He doesn't need a federation or a wormhole or a provisional government. He needs Bajorans doing the work themselves. A couple more unexpected guests arrive at DS9. Say hello to our old friends the Duras sisters, Lursa and Betor. In the evening, they're hanging out in the bar, and so is everyone else. Garrick indicates rather broadly that Dr. Bashir should keep an eye on them. In walks Tana... And Odo doesn't miss a beat, keeping an eye on everybody. When the Duras sisters leave the bar with Tana, they harangue and threaten him about some kind of payment he was supposed to bring them. Fortunately for us, Odo was witness to the conversation while in the form of a rat. Literally. Act 3. Kira reports to Sisko that at least two more of the Ma will follow Tana, and at least a couple of Bajoran ministers are willing to vote for amnesty. Great. And Sisko tells Kira to never go above his head again by contacting Admiral Rollman. Odo reports to Sisko that Tana and the Klingons are up to something, though he's not sure what. They'll keep it quiet for now until they know more. Someone who is in a position to know more is Garak, At least Lursa and Bator visit him and indicate that they would sell Tana to him for a bit of gold-pressed latinum from the Cardassians, as long as the price is right. Kira tells Tana the good news. She's got all the votes locked down that he needs for amnesty, but he doesn't seem too happy about it. He is Konma, after all, and she's just a political go-between for the Federation. Well, that really hurt. Kira insists she's like him. She doesn't want the Federation pulling the strings either. Okay, Tana says, in that case, she can help him get a small ship for one last non violent mission that will wrap things up. Kira says she could just tell Sisko that's what he's planning, but Tana says if she does, then, well, he knows where her loyalties really lie. Act 4. Plain, simple Garrick, being in the know and everything, brings to his friend Dr. Bashir's attention that there are now two known Konma terrorists on board DS9 meeting with Tana. If the doctor wants a little more information, it might be in his interest to drop by the tailor shop at exactly 2055 hours tonight. Exactly 2055 hours. Naturally, Bashir runs right up to Sisko about this odd exchange, and Sisko says, Yeah, you could use a new suit, go to Garrick's tonight, and find out what's going on. Troubled by everything, Kira visits her closest ally, Odo. She's deeply conflicted. If she tells Sisko that Tana is up to something, she's betraying her comrades and her past. If she doesn't tell Sisko, she's betraying her commander. Odo presses her gently, to do a little soul-searching. Her time with the Khan Ma, is that who she really is now? Before she can give her own answer, Odo calls Sisko that someone would like to talk to him. Running a little late, Bashir stops into Garrick's, is quickly ushered into a changing room, and told to keep very quiet. Who should show up next? But the Duras sisters, of course. Garrick gets the skinny on what they're up to, Delivering belittrium to Tanalos on the dark side of Bajor Eight's moon, at which point the Cardassians can have him. Garrett plays along that his buyers will pick him up after they've completed their business with him. Isn't that convenient? Now Bashir knows what they're up to, but what's belittrium? It's the substance that, when coupled with an antimatter converter, can make a bomb. A big bomb. Act 5. With just a thread of information to go on, Cisco and his crew try to determine the best plan of action. Kira insists that the only way to get to the bottom of this is if she accompanies Tana Los on his run. It'll avoid suspicion, and she'll get the full story. Meanwhile, Cisco and O'Brien will hide in a runabout also near that moon and stay in touch with Dax. Just like it's supposed to go down, Tana and Kira arrive in their runabout, and the Klingon bird of prey decloaks. Lursa and Bator beam over with the goods, and he pays them off. The Klingon split, Sisko prepares to move in, and of course, a Cardassian warship shows up immediately. When Tana sees what's going on, he's ready to split too, but Kira tries to stop him. He knows now she's not here to help, and demands, at phaser point as she pilot them back to DS9. Otherwise, he'll detonate the weapon where they are, destroying the colonies on Bajor 8. Kira reluctantly sets a course, and Sisko follows. When he calls the other ship to demand that they stop, Tana, speaking for the Kon Ma, says he'll detonate the weapon if they fire upon him. Thinking quickly, Sisko calls on the Cardassians, who are too far away to do anything about it, so he sees his only option is to be ready to shoot them out of the sky. Aboard their runabout, Tana tells Kira to adjust their course to bring them just in front of the wormhole. He's actually going to detonate the weapon there, seal up access to the wormhole, which means the Federation, the Cardassians, will all lose interest. Bajor will just be for Bajorans again. Also thinking quickly, Kira jerks their ship around just enough to make Tana lose his balance, and she pilots them through the wormhole. Somewhere on the other side, he ejects the weapon. It explodes, damaging nothing he intended, at least, in the process. Following shortly are Sisko and O'Brien with an ultimatum. Either Tana can surrender now, or he can wait for the Cardassians. Wisely, Tana takes the former. Back on DS9 and with Tana in custody, Kira tells him she had to do this, but the world is different now. He, being the understanding type that he is, snarls that she's a traitor. Walking away with Kira, though, is Commander Sisko. They don't say anything to each other, but they seem to walk in step for now. The end.
0: You know, watching them walk away like that, I, I can't help but thinking... This could be the start of a beautiful friendship.
1: You know, I I thought you might say that. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, Deep Space 9, uh the show is no Casablanca, the mm-hmm. film, right? Uh but Deep Space 9 the station is Rick's Cafe American. Yeah. I, and, and for years, and we've talked before about neither you nor I are overly familiar with Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. I've always heard people say, well, how can it be any good? They just sit there. Well, first of all, they have runabouts. And second, yep. there is a wormhole. But third, they are now at this surprise crossroads for galactic travel. It mm-hmm. was just sort of like a dusty outpost, uh, kind of a beaten up dusty outpost. Anything good from which had already been taken by the Cardassians, or so they thought, Suddenly, they're at the crossroads of everything. There's I, I don't really understand people who hate this show, <laughs> at least the premise of this show, because the premise is, yeah, they are right they are They're now in the middle of the action.
1: Yeah. And, and for any of our listeners who have not seen Casablanca. Please. Yeah, <laughs> please, it's, okay. please. It, it's, it's only okay. one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> truly, truly the height of everything that was good about the studio system firing on all cylinders. It was um, a great movie. Yes, it, really. it is. Yes.
0: And, and it's one of those movies, honestly, not that this is the Casablanca podcast, because I'm pretty sure there are 800 of those already. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies that you hear about it and you think to yourself, it can't possibly be that good. Right. It's better. Yeah. So the Godfather, Casablanca, Citizen Kane, Mm -hmm. like those those three movies, each of those movies I went into thinking this cannot possibly be as good as people say. Each one is either exactly as good as people say or better, as John says. But anyway, yeah. So so I don't understand the people. Well, yes, I got I got very much a a Rick's Cafe uh, feel off Deep Space Nine in this episode.
1: Yeah, it's where all the the scoundrels and the misfits end up, and his political intrigue and uh, it, it. Yeah, it's just great. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the person we meet right at the beginning, Garrick. There's about fifteen levels being played in that one simple scene <laughs> we set up. His profession, the politics, the suspicion. He's a little bit sinister, a little bit sleazy, a little bit overbearing. I'd even say a little bit seductive. Hmm. There's just so much going on and that all happens in about three minutes and you gotta figure that there's a little bit going on before that because
0: he's cultivating a relationship with the one guy that he knows is not going to sit and wonder quietly i wonder what's going on there he's immediately going to go run and tell or well, i guess it's a question actually did garrick know that bashir would run and tell immediately i mean was he playing bashir from from the very beginning is he is he basically cultivating a um i guess a contact or an asset i suppose
1: i that's yeah that's kind of how i read it okay because bashir is so wide-eyed about this whole thing right that he just seems like the obvious truck if garrick's gonna go to anybody he's not gonna go to kira (laughs) he's not gonna go to dax he's not gonna go to cisco he's gonna go to bashir yeah and and bashir just eats it up oh it's just so good And, and i don't know if um if this scene is just sort of that perfect combination of, of writer, actor, director, uh, what really drove uh, all the choices that were made in that scene. But, man, is it good. What, what a way to, uh, to start this episode. Um, I'm glad that we'll be seeing a lot more of Garrick. Um, that scene, this is the first that we've heard of a replimat, and, and I love it. Because uh, Well, the Automat, I'm sure you've heard of, it was in New York. I think it opened in the 30s. Um, and, and this seems like a good way to make use of resources on Deep Space Nine rather than having replicators all over the place. I know mean, the Enterprise, you had a replicator in everybody's room. You, you had that replicator shop you could go into and, and make wedding gifts yeah. if you wanted to in case the one in your room wasn't big enough.
0: I don't think we've heard yet. Was Deep Space Nine, uh, so the Cardassians built Deep Space Nine, right? hmm Okay. Was it a military outpost? Is that what it was built for?
1: I think we have to assume that anything the Cardassians build mm-hmm. is pretty much a military outpost.
0: Well, then it makes sense that they would have a, a replimat because it would, be, it would be akin to a mess hall. You can't let soldiers have hot plates next to their bunk everywhere they are, no, right?
1: No, can't do that.
0: So one central dining location actually makes perfect sense, even though we were already in a time where everybody could have had a replicator.
1: Right, right. Well, it stays on resources. You, you still have a certain amount of energy you can produce in order to run the uh, the replicators. So I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, by the way, there's a nice camera shot near the opening of this show with Cisco arguing with Kira. Um, they shot through a lot of people walking in the foreground and I, I can't think that we've ever had a shot like that on next gen and it really adds life to the set. You know, you and I would joke that on, on next gen, there's literally about 11 people on the enterprise, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, on any given week. And it really changed when we got to the movies because you, you could fill in those corridors with a lot of extras. You just couldn't afford on the TV budget. This is a really nice use of, of showing depth and showing action on set, even just during a, a talking scene. It's very cool. It's kind of a funny line when, uh, Kira is showing Tana around and, uh, takes him into his quarters. She goes, so how long since you've slept in a comfortable bed? Well, well, too bad because we don't have any here either. That's <laughs> no, like kidding. literally just, uh, just, a piece of particle board (laughs) uh, the thinnest possible. Like six pillows, maybe. Just like, but
0: but like really thin pillows, like pillows that like somebody's been sitting on for decades.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And Tom's like, I can get used to this. It's it's pretty much like sleeping on rocks, which I'm guessing is what you've been doing for a while. Uh, Speaking of interesting conversations, fantastic part between Odo and um, and the Duras sisters. Mm -hmm. Because they show up. And they're yep. they're toting weapons because they're Klingons, and uh, and they're not allowed to have weapons on the uh, on the on the promenade or anywhere on Deep Space Nine. Actually, And Odo says mm. you have a choice: give up your weapons or leave now. And one of them says, "Who are you?" And he says, "I'm the one giving you the choice."
1: I love that so much. Ah,
0: it's so cool. Right? He's like, yeah. he's like old West law dude, right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty mm-hmm. much exactly what he is. Again, not to do the whole frontier thing that Bashir did. But, I mean, that's what he is. He's, he's well, he's not Liberty Valence because Liberty Valance was a bad guy. He's the sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not to be confused with She's the Sheriff, which is a podcast we're never going to do. Uh, yeah. Runner-up line of the show, by the way, uh, Bashir is talking to Garrick, and Garrick, you know, wants him to do something. And Bashir says, Garrick, I'm a doctor, not—and <laughs> I love the fact that they didn't even let him finish the line, and it's just like, ah, clever.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: Very well done.
2: Not to fault Tana's logic, but how is detonating a bomb supposed to close an opening that is not exactly there?
0: We will dive deep into the heart. Of a man alone in a moment. Wait, what? <laughs> but first, a word from Eagle Moss in the official Star Trek Starships collection.
1: That's right. You know what we're talking about. It's the classic collection of teeny tiny starships. The ones that are perfect for building your own fleet. You could, you could put them on a desk. You could put them on a shelf next to the TV. Or, or maybe just whoosh them around the living room when nobody's looking. They are officially authorized by CBS Studios. The official Star Trek Starships collection is available only from Eagle Moss Collections. This is the ultimate collection of vessels from across the Star Trek universe, from the original series to Deep Space Nine, all the way to Star Trek Beyond and Beyond. Each model is cast
0: in a specially formulated metallic resin and hand-painted with reference to the actual CG models used in production, and where they exist, photos of the original studio models as well. Each ship also comes with a display base, plus a collector's magazine, featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of the technology on board.
1: So subscribe to the collection today to receive your first ship, the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D, for only $4.95 with free shipping. Additional models, and remember guys, there's over a hundred of them, will then ship twice monthly and are delivered directly to your door.
0: Now as a subscriber, you're also entitled to free gifts worth over $90, and you can cancel your subscription at any time. Full details can be found at st-starships.com slash mission log. Now, if you don't want to subscribe, but you want to buy your favorite ships individually, like the Bajoran Solar Sailor, the Cardassian Galore class, or Deep Space Nine itself, you can do that. It's going to cost you a tiny bit more. Either online, you can do that at shop.eaglemoss.com, or you can hit up your local comic shop. But again, to subscribe, to get your whole collection building itself... It is is hyphen starships.com slash mission log. And a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show.
1: Now, Ken, last week I talked about how in Emissary, to me, uh, a big theme was consequence. And in this week's episode, uh, I would say that trust would be uh, uh, at least one of the themes explored front and center. And, and from so many different angles. Uh, Bashir has to decide if he will trust Garrick, and I guess as you pointed out early, we're we're trying to figure out exactly where Garrick's trust may lie because well he he's trusting that Bashir is going to do the right thing for the right outcome here. Uh, Kira trusts Tana Los, but should she? Well, we find out no. Uh, Kira also has to decide if she trusts her gut. And uh nobody trusts the Duras sisters. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, they do trust each other.
1: Oh, they do. They so do. they got That's, that going yeah. for them. You left yeah.
0: out Kira trusting uh Kira trusting um uh Cisco.
1: Oh sure. Yeah. Because she does come yeah. to trust
0: him part of the way through. Initially she's like, you know, bad mouthing him to Tana mm-hmm. saying that they're oil and water, and then by the middle of it, um she she actually does thank him. And that's the point at which he says, "Yeah, well, why don't you bring that up with the admiral next time you talk to her? Go <laughs> over my head again, and I'll have yours on a platter." I believe was what he said. He did. Honestly, that that to me was a was a great, crazy as it sounds, great trust building moment because yeah. she may be walking around thinking that she's some kind of Garrick, that she's mm-hmm. like pulled it over on Cisco, right? And for her to find out that he's gone ahead and done what he thought was the right thing, even though she has crossed him or, you know, pers- uh, you could you could argue that she's crossed him by going over his head. Yeah. I mean, she learns a lot about him at that point. He is actually going to do what he considers right. He's not going to be driven by petty. You know, oh, you went over my head. I'm going to make this twice as difficult for you. Um, I, I, It's weird because he is definitely telling her I, I, I could I could take you down so hard. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go ahead and do what's right. And that might be, a, as I say, a trust-building moment for them as well.
1: Yeah. And there's a line that Sisko says to Gul Dinar, In war, both sides commit atrocities. Referring to the Cardassians and the Bajorans, and in particular, the Ma of the Bajorans. You think Picard would say this? Mm. Now, both sides could mean us, too. I mean, in this episode, like I said, they, they're referring specifically to Cardassians and Majorans, but Cisco's um, pretty matter-of-fact about that, as it's just sort of a given. Now, it may simply be a way to put off dinar for a moment, even if it is just a moment, but uh, I really wondered if uh, if that's something we would have heard out of any other star trek lead up until this point
0: well Goldenar is hardly a star trek lead though right no, no no hearing
1: from a star trek lead hearing that from cisco saying in war both sides commit atrocities
0: hmm yeah i don't know i here's the thing we never would have heard that from tv picard and i really don't think we would have heard it from movie picard either although we do hmm. see it from movie picard in first contact when he's digging around in whatever ensign that was of his, you know, trying to find the the, uh, the piece that will help him know what the Borg were up to. Yeah. And Lily standing there absolutely horrified because, you know, that was one of his people and Picard can't even see it. Right. I think Picard would have to acknowledge that in war, both sides commit atrocities, but I don't think he would say it like a, you know, it's fact of life or it's matter of fact. I think he might say in war, both sides commit atrocities, but we must always fight to not do that. We must always, (laughs) you know, do our best to make sure that doesn't Uh happen. Um, it's quite, yeah, as you say, though, it's quite possible that Cisco's just trying to like, you know, wave Denar off, you know, as if to say, oh yeah, your hands are clean, please. You guys were both yeah. doing what you were both doing. I don't know. I mean, it's something that it's something that we've talked about on the show before. It's something we talked about, too. Ah, and this is so jumping the timeline, it's insane. But, I mean, when you talk about... When, when a lot of people have talked about what's going on with Discovery at this point, and we're telling a war story, and so everybody says, well, it's got to be darker because it's war. Well, the question, of mm-hmm. course, is why are you telling that war story at that point? Mm-hmm. Why not just tell a more enlightened story anyway? I don't think anybody would deny that uh, that in war, both sides committed atrocities. It's not a justification, though. I think it's an acknowledgment. I think it's it's true. And it's horrible. And I think it's the reason that we try to avoid it. Hmm. So would you hear Picard say it? He's an honest man. I don't think he would use it as a justification. I think it's something that would... But I do think it's something that would or may have to be acknowledged. And I think he would do that.
1: Yeah. I have to agree. Um, there's another theme here that I found interesting. That that is the inability to adapt, um, the the inability to see itic for for a lack of a, a better phrase to stick in there, while, while being stuck in old ways. So Tana, and the rest of the Ma were trained for war, but can't adapt to peace. And while I'm at it. You know, well, you jump the timeline, so I'll jump the timeline here. <laughs> hey, um, we don't jump the timeline on this show, except when we announce that we're jumping the timeline. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, but but that's a discussion that we'll have, and we we have had privately uh, when we talk about Star Trek Beyond. You know, uh, that that was a, a character who could not adapt to the idea of peace. Also, Tana's deluded by the idea that one last act will solve all of his and Bajor's problems uh, nothing works like that um mm-hmm. so I, I believe he's certainly blinded by his uh his own ideology and he's also a manipulative jerk uh, <laughs> but you know that's that's just on top of everything else but um Kira's what, Kira has so many good lines in this episode and, and one of them that draws the distinction between where she is now and, uh, where he is now. She says, it was so much easier when I knew who the enemy was. That's something that she says to Odo in her, uh, her moment of self-reflection. Um, and Tana is precisely stuck in that place. Where he has decided who the enemy is and decided that, well, it's only the right action. It's only the right thing that I need to do. That'll fix it. As opposed to being to step far, far, far away from that and realize that the landscape has changed. The approach might need to change as well. That there is actually a future where there can be winners without somebody else being a loser.
0: (laughs) Can you go ahead and play it out for me for just a second, though? I mean, you say mm-hmm. there's not one thing that's going to make this happen, um, or that's going to make everything the way that Tonalos wants it to be. Mm-hmm. The only thing, well, I guess we don't, yeah. I wish we'd had a little bit more time without knowing there was a wormhole there. I would actually like to have seen maybe the mm. provisional government and the Federation work together a bit more before the wormhole. Because then you could have the Cardassians come back, and that you know introduces a whole new thing. We basically get an hour of the Federation coming there trying to help the the, uh, the Bajorans before we find out about the wormhole, and that's going to make everything you know more interesting. That's what's going to turn this into a place where people are actually going to want to be, right? I'm I'm curious if there were no wormhole. I mean, is Tana right about the isolationism at that point? I mean, would he would he if he's able to collapse the wormhole, do people just turn around and walk away? Or are they in twice as much trouble now, at least with the Federation and with the provisional government, because, hey, we finally had something here, and you've ruined it, mm. right? I mean, like, would, would, would more thunder have been called down on him by not allowing the traffic? Or or would, would is he right? Would everybody have just been like, eh, yeah, Bajor was good for like a minute? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then they take off. And now it's lame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if they, they had collapsed a wormhole, even if the Federation takes off, although I, I don't think that would happen. I mean, the Federation's interest is in making sure that there is peace in that area, not just necessarily exploiting the benefits of having a wormhole there.
0: Right. I mean, witness the fact the Federation was there before they knew there was a wormhole.
1: Well, right. Right. Yeah. So, um I, it it seems like no matter what there, there is uh we we're being led to believe that the, the the position and the power of that provisional government is still somewhat tenuous and there is still the threat of Cardassians taking whatever they want from there. Again, regardless of the wormhole.
0: Yeah. Okay. I mean it's we well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There was a weird thing that happened, actually, though, in Emissary, where Picard was like, I've become, it almost seemed like Picard is the reason the Federation is there, or that Starfleet is there. Because when he's talking to Cisco, he says, so the Bajorans want to be in the Federation. I've taken an interest in the Bajorans, and so I want you to make this happen. I mean, it's a bit weird, and maybe that's just they're trying to simplify really quickly why is it that this whole thing is happening, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not 100% certain why the Federation is there in the first place. I mean, I do believe that the Bajorans do need them to, you know, stop the whole planet from erupting in the civil war, which is basically exactly what Kira said in Emissary. Mm-hmm. At the same time, is it only is it only because we had an ensign row that we now have Federation involvement here? Because the Cardassians, mm-hmm. the Cardassians have pretty much depleted Bajor of anything that that is useful to them. It seems.
1: Yeah, but uh, I mean, it, it seems like, at least in Picard's version of the Federation, once somebody raises their hand and says, hey, we need help and we'd also like to be a part of the Federation, then the Federation takes that seriously and they show up, try to help out and see how that can happen. Yeah. You now, it's it's not a guarantee. And yes, it doesn't hurt that we had an ensign row, but ensign row also indicates that there is had been some longer ties to the Federation at some point, even if Bajor was not a member of the Federation. So it, it, I I get Starfleet's presence there. I get the the Federation's presence there. I get their interest, even if there isn't some immediate gain from that. You know, yeah. the, the, the altruistic nature of, uh, of the Federation is that they need help. They're coming out of a war. We have the resources to help them uh, stabilize themselves after a war, even even if Kira says, "Well, the only person who can uh, bring my people together is uh, Kaiopaka." Yeah, <laughs> even if she says that,
0: yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the the other thing that's kind of weird about the whole about all of it is, it sounds like uh, the Bajorans would be at the very least split fifty fifty on whether or not they actually want Federation involvement. So mm-hmm. far, the the Bajorans that we've met don't. One federation involvement. Yeah, right. right. And yet there's the federation. So I don't know. I will say I was touched and, you know, uh, affected, I think, by the position that Kira is in. I mean, she's still fighting for Bajor. She actually says, I'm still fighting for Bajor in my own way. But Mm -hmm. I mean, the way she's doing it is without physical weapons. And what's a drag is, so to somebody else, that, that particular, you know, brand of patriotism, that particular brand of fighting, the one that doesn't involve, you know, actual fisticuffs, mm-hmm. uh, since it doesn't look like someone else's, it can be questioned. Oh, you're not a real Bajoran because, you know, you're not taking up arms. You're actually working with these, you know, other people, which was depressing. <laughs> <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> like a bummer thing for her to have to deal with. Um, the same kind of thing. I mean, the, and it, and it it gets really warped really quickly when the whole thing with Tana, when he's like, so he's got the bomb now. And if Kira doesn't do what he says, he's going to blow up the bomb and, and wipe out all the colonies on Bajor eight. Mm-hmm. And she says, you would kill your own people. And he says, the question is, would you kill them by not doing what I say? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's actually you. Yeah. That's actually yeah. you doing that. <laughs> that's not, right. not me doing that. It felt, um, well, well, we'll probably deal a little bit more with Tonalos uh, in the next segment, but mm-hmm. yeah, she was in a really tough spot because, you know, there's still got to be a part of her too that, that w- wants to shoot Cisco. Maybe not Cisco personally, but you know, that wants to get the Federation out of there, that wants to get Starfleet out of there. She wants, I think she actually says she wants Bajor for Bajorans, same as Tonalos, but she's playing a long game and he's playing with guns.
2: With Tana's plan ported, it is time to see what we can take forward from past prologue.
0: So normally this is the part of the show where we decide about this particular episode, where we decide the messages, morals and meanings or what we see as the messages, morals and meanings of the episode and decide for ourselves whether the episode stands to test of time. Before we do that, though, there's something I want to get to. And I'm, I'm actually going to uh, call back to something that you said earlier or something you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier the season one TNG episode. I believe it was episode three. Uh, Code of Honor.
1: Oh, Code of Honor. And
0: you blew my mind in Code of Honor
1: <laughs>
0: because when you did the recap of Code of Honor, and for people who haven't seen it or don't remember, Code of Honor is quite possibly one of the most racist things on TV in the 1980s. Has mm-hmm. to have been because it's just, it just is. Everybody's black and that's fine, except everybody's also, it's, oh, they're decidedly black. I can't really <laughs> think of a a good way to say it. Um, except they're really, it's, it, well, it, it just seems very racist. Yeah. And then you, when you did your recap, didn't mention race at all. And, and if mm-hmm. you just hear the story, if you just read what the person who wrote the script or wrote the story wrote, there's nothing racist about it. It's the way it was presented. Mm-hmm. I only bring this up to say, uh, Cisco's black. And I don't know that we have mentioned the fact that Avery Brooks is black, and I don't know that we have mentioned uh, the fact that, that Deep Space Nine is being commanded by a black guy. Now, he's not a captain, but uh, he is a, a, a black person in command on a Star Trek series. And that had never happened before this. We might have seen somebody in command, but he's going to be our lead. He's our leader. He's our Kirk. He's our Picard. He is other captains that may come down the road or other leaders that may come down the road. And they hired a black dude. And we didn't even talk about that last week because there was so much other stuff to talk about. It really should be acknowledged. This is another example of Star Trek pushing that envelope, pushing that frontier, Um, bringing us something that that should have been happening for years and years and years on tv but uh, star trek finally got around to it and it's a it's a really neat thing to see
1: yeah um that actually did come up as a question from somebody uh saying why isn't cisco a captain Hmm. well uh, here's the thing Uh, he's He's in command. He is the commanding officer of Deep Space Nine. But I think part of what's important about setting up his character from Emissary is that he was a guy on the way out. He he did not want to be there. And he's kind of been giving the given this dumpy job way <laughs> off in the corner where nobody else wants to be. Right. So it, it sets up a couple of interesting things. Well, one, he's got a place to go. You know, he he's got a a place to go up, and we get to uh, explore in that episode kind of his conflict about being there in the first place. Yeah, you know, and, and and two, we're not taking anything away from his his capability in that position. I look at it this way, you know, had Next Gen been a different show, and had Riker not been. You know, We know we're going to get Riker for all seven seasons of Next Gen, but uh, had they been a, maybe a little faster and looser with that cast, you could take a guy like a Commander Riker and stick him over as the head of this alien space station in a war-torn corner of the uh, quadrant Yeah, where it's just going to be a mess that he's got to clean up. You know,
0: the other thing is, I mean, it allows for growth for the character, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. Benjamin Sisko on the Saratoga was on his way to being captain. We don't know that Mm -hmm. for certain, but I mean, he was he was well positioned on a starship. And probably Mm -hmm. one of the next things for him is going to be captain of his own ship. We don't know because we didn't see much. then three years ago, this terrible thing happened to him. And for the past three years, he's been floating I'm not saying he's just been doing just enough to get by, but he has not been driven in any particular direction. I mean, the real question, I think, is not why is Benjamin Sisko not captain, but why is Commander Sisko being given charge of this space station? Because for the past Mm -hmm. three years, he has existed in one moment, that one moment being the death of his wife. So, I mean, if you want to knock them for saying, oh, sure, they put a black man in charge, but he's not captain— I mean, they, 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 they put a black man in charge and that's the real coup here, I think. And, and who yeah. knows, there may be a promotion in Cisco's future. I don't Never know. know. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't possibly read ahead anyway. So I thought it seemed like that was the thing that we should acknowledge because there was so much other stuff that we talked about last week. And then you and I later were like, oh yeah. And that thing. Yeah. So, so now having, having, uh, having revisited uh, episode one, and and mm-hmm. the fact that uh, b- both Benjamin Sisko and Avery Brooks are black. Let's talk mm-hmm. about this episode mm-hmm. of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This episode, of course, being A Man Alone. No!
1: Oh, wait a minute. Ah,
0: I know it's not. Watch it's, the wrong
1: one again. It's past
0: yeah. prologue. Um, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned, Mr. Champion?
1: I'll just come right out and say it. I love this episode um i i think uh first of all just from a production standpoint it, it's well shot it's well acted it's tight it doesn't feel like there are any superfluous scenes everything is there for a reason and it was one of those that i enjoyed watching over and over because they pack a lot of plot and a lot of detail into that 48 minutes or, or 50 minutes or whatever it is yeah um So with the standouts, I love that scene between Kira and Odo. I love pretty much every scene between Kira and Cisco. And let's compare this one now because we're only two into Deep Space Nine. Let's talk a little bit about Emissary because, well, that's our point of comparison now. Emissary was good in its own right, but that one seemed more concerned with setting a tone and having those compelling poetic explorations. And because of that, there are weird pacing issues because of that. You're not entirely sure where they're going with everything. Um, This one by contrast is just rock solid. Um, And and I feel like this is a story that would have worked on next gen. It would have worked on TOS as well. Um, And everybody in this is just better. (laughs) So emissary kind of is its own thing but you can tell here that they're finding their way this feels like everyone's been together for a long time that they're firing on all cylinders now look kira's dilemma is pretty obvious it's pretty bonk bonk on the head for the audience because we know what she's supposed to do but it works here because nana visitor is so good and the story is so well written um Again, that relationship between Cisco and Kira is really developing. It's strong, it's contentious, but it all works. And by the way, since we were talking about Avery Brooks, now, when we were talking about Emissary, I was talking about his performance, leaving me a little cold. Yes. (laughs) Um, I
0: believe what you said was it seemed like he was reading the
1: audiobook of Emissary. Yes, that is precisely (laughs) what I said. Yeah. I don't feel that way about him in this episode at all. I feel like everybody is more relaxed. Everybody is who they are. And there are so many moments that just feel genuine between him and the other people in this cast. So um, Now, I don't know what we're in for next week because that was the second episode filmed, A Man Alone.
0: <laughs> but
1: uh, But I'm glad that this is the one that I am seeing second. Yeah. Because it seems to have fixed a lot of the problems that I had with Emissary. Um, and I, I just, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed this from, from beginning to end.
0: Yeah, I'm there. I mean, uh, the one thing I will say, I, I kind of wish I didn't know the trivia. Hmm. I mean no disrespect to Nanau Visitor, nor to the character Kira Norris. Hmm. But um, I miss Ro Laren and I miss Michelle Forbes in this episode. And that's mm-hmm. uh, that's just because I know that character and i know honestly i know um michelle forbes acting a bit more than i know nana visitors acting as well yeah and i can see her in this now the only thing is i think i only miss it because i know it was what they wanted i don't think if i didn't know that i don't think i'd be sitting there going wow this really needs somebody else because she is good mm-hmm. in fact everyone mm-hmm. not to parrot what you said everyone really seems on in this episode mm-hmm. um, even even um, even Bashir. I've heard a lot of people ask us to go easy on Bashir, and I'm not sure why exactly. I mean, he is goofy in this episode, mm-hmm. but he's supposed to be goofy in this episode. Mm-hmm. Everybody is great in this episode, I think. So from a production standpoint, from an acting standpoint, from all that, uh, I absolutely think it works. Uh, so that's the production part of it out of, out of the way. Let's talk, though, about the uh, the messages, morals and meanings part, the M&M&Ms
1: as mm. I pretend I like to call them um so messages uh, you know uh, there are themes here, and, and I think there are messages woven into those themes uh, trust but verify mm. uh we're we're kind of there, particularly with Cisco uh in his interactions with Bashir he's like, um yeah, you know this is probably no big deal, Garrick says Garrick, go find out what's going on." Is the subtext of, of all of that. Um, Odo comes to Cisco to say, Hey, something's going on. Uh, we should just figure out what it is. Okay. Don't tell anybody. So we're, we're going to find out what the thing is. So there, there's a, a bit of, uh, a bit of an underlying subterfuge here hmm. and a bit of an attempt to keep it on the level, but then. Doing everything you can to dig to make sure you're getting everything that's uh, on the next level.
0: Well, yes and no. I will say, and something that we forgot to discuss, but it was actually a fairly mm. powerful moment. I think it was when the Duras sisters showed up and Oda was like, yeah, you know, I can make up a reason to lock him up.
1: Mm-hmm. And Cisco says no. And Cisco says no. <laughs> Don't do
0: that. It's actually really interesting, too, because Odo says, yeah, you know, they, uh, they, it's sort of like what they always say about, well, at least he made the trains run on time, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Odo actually says the Cardassians were terrible, but it, basically it's it, – but you know what you could get away with? What was it? Uh, Their justice may not have been just, but it was sure or something along those lines. I mean, basically he's sort of missing the old days when he just, you know – bust skulls to
1: keep peace but i mean yeah but 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 what is he what does he do then because he doesn't say to cisco yeah you're right i won't lock him up i am going to change myself into a rat so i can spy on their private conversations
0: Eh, okay yes (laughs) maybe okay i understand what you're saying but at the same time i mean at the very least you know cisco wasn't like yeah because i mean honestly it might have gone a weird way right the sure. Cardassians want to board Deep Space Nine, and Cisco's like, sure, you can do that. Uh, Chief, find every reason you can to keep them off the station as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, it, it's possible that Odo could have said, hey, I found these drugs in Lursa and Bintour's ship. <laughs> right? And then Cisco's like, good, lock them up and make sure you actually put the drugs there before you do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good to see our Starfleet be our Starfleet, even in this darker... Um, even in this darker setting, it's good that you know Cisco wasn't like, "Yeah, they are trouble. Find a reason." I mean, he actually right, stands right, there and right. says, "Yeah, they are trouble. Treat them as fairly as you would if they weren't."
2: Hmm.
1: Who, who was it on uh, Next Gen who said, uh, "Well, we need to bring that ship into the shuttle bay and uh, just find every reason to keep that ship there and tear it apart and make them wait?" Uh, I believe that was either Riker or it might have been Deanna Troy. Hmm. Giving an order. I thought, yeah. I thought
0: it was Warf actually.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right. Well, Warf found, right. yeah. found the reason to do it. Worf found the reasons, right. yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, which was not a not a surprising thing for
1: Worf, yeah. as I remember. Yeah. So I think the story, it, it's really Kira's story, that the moral principle at stake here isn't mutable. It, it isn't great because her loyalty might lay on one side or the other. She learns that if her principles are worth defending they are worth defending no matter what and no matter whose side she's on you know the the principle is her her honesty her loyalty her conscience and yeah her entire history was there with the Ma and with uh with tana which i, I do agree with michael Pillar's decision it would have messed things up if they had given them a, a romantic subplot as well you didn't need that here yeah um but the the principle that she's faced with is that honesty and uh, and her dedication to making a better future. Uh, so she's going to stick to that and, uh, and and it's nice to see her go through that journey. Um, she says to Tana, as well, we talked about the the inflexibility that Tana has. Kira says to Tana, the old ways don't work anymore. Everything is different now and And to her, she's there to work for peace. She she's done with working for war, and uh, I guess the other way to say what she says is you gotta you gotta embrace the edict, baby.
0: Hmm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear her what say else? embrace the, Well, I didn't hear her say embrace the edict, but I did hear her say embrace change. Uh, let me. Back no, up. but she,
1: she's living that edict though. She, look, she's working with Starfleet. She's working with. People that she never thought she would work with before. She's, she's tolerating Cardassians <laughs> to the extent that they can at least be a part of this and not, uh, going with what would be Tana's instinct, which is to blow them up. Hmm. You know? So she sees that the world is different and she's trying to do everything she can to work within that.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think you're just giving her a little bit too much credit when you say that she's embracing Idic. I she may at some point, I don't think she is at this point. I mean I think she's on our way. You and Cisco don't get along, oil and water. That's not itch.
1: No, but then they do, because they walk off together. I'm talking about by the end of the episode, yeah. they walk off together into All the sunset. Right.
0: All right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, think, I think you, well, and I know I did it earlier. It feels like you might be reading ahead. I'm not hearing it yet. <laughs> but, I mean, mostly I think we're on the same page. Um. Well, except I do have to say, I also hate your trust but verify thing, because it's not really trust. I mean, it was Soviet-era speak, right? Trust, but check. And that's not, you know, not trust
1: yeah and that's where they are in the episode i'm not saying it's great i'm saying that odo changed himself into a rat literally a rat so he go spy on somebody's conversation yeah even after cisco said no 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 just you know
0: how can he not make a nose by the way he can make himself a rat he can make himself a a perfectly passable bag that cardassians will carry from deep space Mm. time to their ship can't make a nose yeah, yeah. Weird. Weird. All right. Weird. Um, don't be afraid to change. I think is definitely one of the messages here. Don't be afraid to reassess. There's an interview, and I may have talked about it on on uh, on on uh, Mission Log before. There was an interview that I heard with an eighty something year old man around the time of Brexit. It was on the BBC, and he mm-hmm. was crying, and and the words he said were something like, "I know I'll be dead, but I just want things the way they were." Dude. Mm. Okay, fine. This Mm. to me is Tonalos, right? Fighting is what he knows. The only way forward for Bajor is the way that he saw years ago. He can't reassess. He hasn't changed his thinking. He won't change his thinking at all. Additionally, you know, maybe be open to the idea that while working differently, somebody else may also be working for good. I mentioned this in the last segment. Kira was a fighter. She's now working with current reality, and this is, I think, why I'm sort of, like, on the fence about your itic thing. She's taken another look and realized that there are better ways than militancy to help her people. And, and I don't think that's, oh, well, let's bring everybody in. I think it's just we can just keep firing guns, but eventually somebody with more guns is going to come, and we're going to be dead. I mean, she's looking at the situation and saying, okay, this is the reality of what we're doing right now, and, you know, She's not caught in the way that she always thought things would be or caught in the way that she always thought things should be. um, And yet she's still working for peace. And I got to say, good for her for not being bullied by, you know, her people and their old ways and the acting against what she feels is right. Um, She's a great, she's a great character in this episode. She's a strong character in this episode. Um, And yeah, I think the messages in here are just uh, stellar.
1: Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at com, And if you want to see the latest podcast productions from Roddenberry Entertainment, Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, The Trek Files, and Priority One, go to podcast.roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, past
0: prologue. A man alone.
2: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Next week, past man prologue alone, or something. I seriously have no idea anymore.